Hello, guys. Welcome. Thank you for tuning in. This is the NTT20 podcast, the Monday pod. It was a very busy, busy weekend, the penultimate of the EFL season, and we're here to talk you through it. And uh, without further delay, let me introduce my friend on the other end of the line, George Ellick. How are you doing, mate? All well? Hello, mate. Yes, I'm very good. Excited to be here with you. A dramatic, another dramatic day where it felt like kind of a half time. It felt like everything was going to end. It felt like we were going to find out everything that was going to happen for the rest of the EFL season, but that has not come to pass with more drama ahead. Yeah, well, let's break it down. And while doing so, kind of partially look ahead to the weekend as well, to the uh, final day of the season. Of course, all three leagues will take place in their own separate time slots, which I always like. Uh, 12.30 on Saturday, the Championship Games. 3pm on Saturday, the League 2 Games. And Sunday, the League 1 Games. Uh, This coming weekend is the last chance of winning £500 on the Skybet EFL Rewards Predictor. We've been really grateful for the support of Skybet EFL Rewards on sponsoring this podcast for the majority of this season. And we still think it's a great thing for you guys to do as it is free to download the app. It's free to play, whether that is checking in to your team's games and therefore playing the spinner with a chance to win rewards such as signed shirts for your team, free match passes, could be a copy of Football Manager, it could be a replica EFL match ball, plenty up for grabs. But also on the predictor, which takes you know 30 seconds to plug in the results uh, for a division in the EFL. And if you end the weekend at the top of the leaderboard, well, for the last time this weekend, you'll win £500 courtesy of the Skybet EFL Rewards app. So, I mean, free hit, really. No reason not to give it a go. Nothing to lose and a chance to win £500 if you play the Skybet EFL Rewards predictor this coming weekend, the last in the EFL. Let's start with the championship, George. And normally it's our longest segment each week, but I'm not sure that'll be the case this week because there's not a huge amount to dwell on, although plenty uh, of drama still to come on final day. Let's start with the relegation battle. That feels like the the key thing that needs to be decided. It's the only thing really, apart from playoff semi-final matchups. So let's start there. And Derby have to be where we start. I think they they have been the story for the last few weeks. They have been the team who really just needed one win. You'd say in their last five or six games just to to ease any relegation concerns. Instead, they've lost them all. Uh, and this weekend, one of the worst of the lot, 1-0 up against Swansea and looking, I mean, rarely looking comfortable, but not looking too shabby, uh, ended up losing that one 2-1. The word that springs to my mind, George, is shriveled. Is that what you saw? <laughs> is that what you saw? Uh, that's not the word I thought you were going to say. Um, <laughs> they, I mean, it was really poor again. They've, they've been ahead in three of their last four games and, and lost them all. Um, and and I've, I've said it before, they seem to be a side who are just totally and utterly luckless. And that was seemingly the case again on Saturday. You know, Swansea only had four shots in the game. It wasn't like they um, tore them open after going behind. Um, they scored. I mean, the first was a, <clears throat> the equaliser was a Morgan Whitaker goal, who, of course, left Derby, a Derby boy who left the club in January to move to Swansea. No muted celebration from him at all after getting a goal um, that could consign them towards relegation. And then. A lovely Connor Roberts hit for the second goal, which Keller Roos, I'm sure, you know, will think he should have done better being beaten at his near post, despite the, the quality of the shot itself. So, uh, I mean, I don't know who to point the finger at, really. Um, is it Rooney? Is he struggling to get this side playing well? Well, I mean, they, they keep going ahead in games and I don't think that the level of the performance is, is dire. So, possibly, is it just a case of bad luck? Are they destined 
to eventually turn this around. They've only got one more game to do it and it's going to be a massive game uh, when they host Sheffield Wednesday on, on Saturday and they need to hope that Rotherham don't pick up points in the week as well with their game in hand. So, yeah, I mean, for, for Derby, um, it's it's just a, a continual way of finding ways to lose games of football um, that they, seems to, they just seem to kind of be specialising in at the moment. They've lacked consistent performers all season haven't they even in the better times uh, you might point to Christian Bielik in that one run of, of very very good form as being the key reason and it's easy to do so now with his injury having coincided with what has been about as bad a run as it, as you can have but you know in flashes yeah Colin Kazim Richards had a good few weeks uh, Tom Lawrence has probably been the bright spark in the last few weeks despite all the defeats Jason Knight at times, uh, but very little else in terms of consistent performers and very few match winners as well, you have to say. Someone like Josviak and Roberts and, and Sibley and Waghorn, attacking players who you can talk yourself into them being good attacking players for the level, but they haven't shown that consistently this season for, for differing reasons. And look, whatever Rooney is trying, it's not working at all uh, at the moment. A- any positivity I have for Derby, next week and I don't think it's as, as easy as they're, they're rubbish and they'll lose and they'll go down uh, Any, but any positivity I do have is more about Wednesday who aren't exactly balling out at the moment uh, as they say um, not really to do with Derby you're right to point out that Swans only had four shots so uh, I wasn't I wasn't that enamoured with the Swansea performance uh, the only thing that I will note uh, very frivolously is that Steve Cooper George is their manager Famously hates making subs, by the way, the fewest made in the league this season. But at the weekend, he brought on two people also called Cooper, Ollie Cooper and Brandon Cooper. Now, I'm not saying that there's a clandestine group of Coopers trying to take over Swansea City and use it as a vehicle for Cooper (laughs) propaganda. But at this stage of my investigation, I'm not ruling anything out. Uh, No comment. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Derby are playing Wednesday, aren't they, this weekend? A Wednesday side who could have put the pressure on with a win against Forest in the early kickoff. This game was nil-nil, George, and not a ton happened aside from one very big moment, uh, a Sheffield Wednesday mistake, mostly Adam Reach's fault, penalty conceded by Westwood, and then saved exceptionally uh, from Lewis Graben. Uh, and it kind of feels like Wednesday, whether they were shackled by pressure or maybe the fact that the news has come out. They haven't yet been paid their wages for April playing on their minds. It, it wasn't a fluid, fluid performance. That's for sure. They didn't cause Forrest too many issues, which they need to at this stage. Yeah, they weren't particularly good. Um, but the funny thing was, I mean, playing early <clears throat> gave them, I thought, a big advantage where they could get the points on the board early and put the pressure on Derby. At the final whistle, this nil-nil, despite the penalty, felt like it probably wasn't enough. But then Derby go and get beat and suddenly they're put in a position where a win on Saturday when they face each other would put them above above them. So in the end, it turned out to be a pretty important point. And that that Westwood penalty save, probably the most important part of it, it was an unbelievably stupid bit of play from from Adam Reach. I mean, it wasn't just Reach's fault because, you know, no no wing back wants to be um, heading the ball kind of in his own third on, on the byline from a chip ball from the keeper. But to head it back to Westwood and to have the pass intercepted was, was pretty foolish. He should have just let it go. Um, there was no need to do that at all. But Westwood made the save, a really good penalty save, as you say. Um, a strong, strong left wrist down to his uh, his left. Um, and that is the key moment of the game. I, I agree. There were there were times a couple of weeks ago where it looked to me like Sheffield Wednesday were, were trending in the right direction. Their performance levels were improving. 
I think they're going to have to improve on that on that performance against Forest uh, in order to try and win this game on Saturday because Derby go into it effectively already one nil up because a draw is absolutely fine for them. Although we'll have to see what happens with the other room as well. Well, quite. Uh, the, the Derby Sheffield Wednesday game is understandably the fixture that stands out. And come Saturday, it will be the obvious place to be, the obvious game to watch. But Rotherham still have a huge say in this, don't they? They drew one all with Blackburn. Uh, this weekend, a Lewis Wing free kick equaliser. Uh, Rotherham also had Great goal. J- Jamal Blackman to thank with some big saves uh, after Johansson's injury. It strikes me that probably two of Rotherham's best what six players are the goalkeepers, which is not ideal in a sport <laughs> that only uh, that only demands one. Um, and yeah, just I mean, Paul Warren's post match was interesting, wasn't it? Like making absolutely no bones about just how exhausted he is. And therefore, you know, they often talk about how in your post-match interviews you're talking to your players uh, and how to come across in order not to reflect negative energy onto them. But Paul Warren, he's he's so honest, right? He's so, mm. so honest. And I wonder if there were some managers who watched that almost nervously thinking to themselves, God, I'd, I'd never let myself be that vulnerable. But it's a big part of his management style. Yeah, I mean, I love hearing him talk. Um you know, I like the, the Rotherham chairman saying that he's going to be manager next season no matter what. I mean, I think <laughs> that's probably wishful thinking in a way because despite Rotherham possibly going down, I think Paul Warren would probably be quite an attractive option for a lot of championship sides who are looking for a new manager. Um, you know, the, the style of football is entertaining. Um, he has his team is very fit. He speaks so well in the press. You know, he's the kind of man that you want, I think, being the the face of your football club and Rotherham are, are incredibly lucky to have him. And I, and I agree that if they do go down, there's no one better placed to try and get a third consecutive uh, promotion out of League One. Uh, he's already done it twice, albeit once with a, a, a curtailed season. Um, They've yeah, got he's, Luton he's... to play on Tuesday night. That That's crucial, right? We can't talk about next weekend yet without mentioning this game because everything could change based on that result. Yeah, and Luton are a side who, who seemingly quite enjoying their late um, surge up the table. Um, not a team who've who've uh, camped on the beach as of yet. I think anybody who knows Nathan Jones knows that he is a pretty intense man, and it's it's hard to imagine that he would um, not have his team fully motivated for this. And and I think playing the role of uh, you know of of the team who can can sign another to relegation is in itself motivation alone. So it's going to be a tough game for them in midweek. It was interesting to note that Warren said that he felt Rotherham were jaded. No surprises there, given the the fixture congestion they've had to deal with. Um, it's going to be tough, I think, but good to see them finally getting something out of a game that they probably deserved. Um, it was a smart free kick from Wing, um, who we know is good for a shot from distance, oh, if, yes. if, if not a great deal else. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, I, you'd probably like to see them create a bit more from open play, but um, but they've definitely got it in them to to get to get the points that they need in these last two games. Well, it would be really interesting if they do win um, on Tuesday night against uh, Luton, but even a point would put them in a, a pretty interesting situation, given as we know, Derby are playing Sheffield Wednesday uh, this coming weekend. Wickham Wanderers go into the final day with a chance to stay up. They beat Bournemouth one nil. This weekend, just a brilliant result. Wickham beating Bournemouth is a sensational result. I don't think we should get away from what Wickham have done in the last few months, even if it, it's not going to be enough to stay up. Now, take Rotherham aside here, because Rotherham could make it that 
Wickham, whatever they do, it, it doesn't matter if they picked up two wins, for example. But let's say Rotherham lose on Tuesday night and this weekend. Wickham could stay up, but I think it's basically only if Sheffield Wednesday win 1-0, let's say, against Derby, and Wickham win 14-0. So for anyone listening who's seen the headline, Wickham take it down to final day, yes, but but also no. Um, <laughs> regardless, I mean, a brilliant, brilliant win. And look, Bournemouth rotated players. They're positioning themselves for the playoffs. But let's not take anything away from this. My favourite part, or my, my favourite thing about this match, George, is that at, at a certain point after we'd seen Ikpiezu's magnificent goal to put them 1-0 up, and what a signing he's been. Mm. Saturday, I'm sitting in there at Quest, where I was there in a behind-the-scenes uh, producer role, Dean Ashton, Mark Bonner, Michelle Owen. And I'm just, I'm watching a game and I just hear this angelic voice, like a choir boy, just singing P.A. Yezu. And I was Lovely. so confused. Where's this coming from? I look around. Former England international Dean Ashton to my left. Why is he singing P.A. Yezu? He's not. He's singing Ik Piezu. Ik Piezu. <laughs> Love it. I just thought it was so good. And ever since then, we've been really obsessed. And I'm calling on, Wick- on Wick and Wondrous fans if that's where Ik Piezu's playing next season. Please, can you chant that next season? But do it in like a really good football supporter way. Like that famous, um, uh, I think it was an advert of football hooligans in inverted commas singing truly madly deeply. Uh, by Savage Garden, which if you haven't watched, you need to Google. Um, but yes, I'd like that to be the the chant next season. They're doing themselves so many favours, George, with their late season performances. I think genuinely in terms of attracting players for a League One promotion push next season, the only thing that might counteract that is Gareth Ainsworth's flirty nature when it comes to discussing managerial vacancies elsewhere. I still think... That it's happen. looking, yeah. I, I think Ainsworth will be pressed to manager next season. Although, he, I mean, he did say in his in his um, post match interview on Saturday how excited he was for the future of Wickham, um, which I guess you know he would claim that he's now a fan, I'm sure, and, and that you know he'll be excited watching on. And he'd argue that he's left them in a in a pretty great position. Um, we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. Uh, Put it this way: the way I, that he talks, if you're a Wickham fan, you would take what he has said as meaning he'll be at Wickham next season. If you're a Preston fan, you probably take what he said about that as he would like the Preston job. Of course, both can't can't really be true. So that just no. shows how his uh, methods of communication can lead to confusion, George. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, I mean, and they need to keep hold of him because, yeah, they've done incredibly well this season. You know, 40 points is, is a hell of an effort. They probably deserve more. Um, you know, we've spoken about the refereeing decisions. I, I think there's been a, a few games this season where they've deserved points and haven't got them just in terms of their, their performance levels. We saw this Swansea game a couple of weeks ago as well. I think they're unlucky not to stay up, if I'm going to be honest. Um, and that is an incredible effort given the squad at their disposal. You know, it's important not to be too snobbish. Um, but, you know, Piazza is a great example of just some really clever recruitment. You know, he's a guy who only scored five goals at uh, over two seasons in the Scottish Premiership for Hearts. He'd only ever really scored goals in, in League Two, um, coming in to to replace, well, to, to play ahead of Bayrak and Fenworth, somebody who's a, obviously a bit of a club legend. And he's been incredibly impressive. And it was an amazing goal on Saturday, something I didn't necessarily think he had in him. Um, and their recruitment is so impressive. They consistently seem to find players. They who, don't waste a lot of money, do they? No, but they, they, they consistently get players who 
go on to play at a higher level than at Wickham than they were playing at previously. You know, there's there doesn't seem to be much evidence as to why the guys they bring in should be up to the standards that they are. Um, and that is, you know, that's as, as glowing a reference as you can really give a recruitment team. So, and, and, and the coaching staff as well. So um, important for Wickham that they try and keep Ainsworth because I think next season without him could be could be tricky. And and even for League One and League Two terms, the number of staff that they had is, ti- is tiny. You know, mm. you talk about recruitment and in, in championship terms, you're normally talking about recruitment teams at this stage, people whose job and only remit is the recruitment of football players for their club. I don't know exactly how it works at Wickham, but it is certainly not that. It is a mm. few individuals working every hour that they can to try and find players that will um, help them get better. Uh, no surprise that Bournemouth lost and Dan Juma didn't play a minute. Uh, not so surprised about that one. <laughs> it's, it's 28 starts. Who's counting? But it's 28 starts for Arno this season. 16 wins, 6 draws, 6 defeats, 1.93 points per game in his 28 starts, 17 without him, 1.35 points per game, as many wins as defeats without Dan Juma. Uh, and I haven't really changed what I thought about Bournemouth uh, when we spoke about a month ago, when Solanke and Dan Juma and one of Stanislas or Brooks are playing up front. I don't think there are teams that can handle them for 90 minutes, but take one, or as the case was with Solanke rested as well, both of them out. And I don't think there's a huge amount to fear. So, it's an interesting one ahead of the playoffs. Uh, um, we talked about Preston, Gareth Ainsworth. Well, what about fun time Frankie, eh? Three wins in a row for Preston North End. They beat playoff-bound Barnsley 2-0 on the weekend. And George, can you imagine scoring two more Barnsley-esque goals against Barnsley <laughs> as the two that uh, Preston scored? No. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know what to make of this game because, I mean, Preston, as you mentioned, have been on a better run of form Um I still don't imagine. Um, I still think, I mean, as I just said, I think they're going to go for Ainsworth. I can't imagine they're not going to bring in a, a permanent um, manager over the summer. But it's impressive what they've done. And as you say, two set-piece goals, uh, Jordan Story with the first and then Jordan Story with the assist, kind of a flick-on that fell for Evan six yards out for the second. Um, but for Barnsley, it wasn't a great performance, really. Um, it wasn't, you know, they were one of the sides in the playoffs, unlike Swansea, unlike Brentford, unlike um, Bournemouth. They didn't really make changes. They didn't really look to rotate or rest players, no more so than they normally do anyway, um, but put in a bit of a stinker. So, and I think of of all the, given, you know, his his love of, of substitutions um, in order to keep the players fresh, you'd think that Valerian Ishmael would probably be the one who needs to to make sure that his players are in kind of peak physical um, form for that first playoff game. So a little bit concerning for Barnsley. Um, but yeah, another big win for Frankie McAvoy, who uh, who seems to have got pressed and clicking. Barnsley have scored just the eight goals from open play in their last 14 games. Uh, now they've scored 20 in that time, so their goal return is fine. There's no surprise that they score a very, or have scored a very high percentage of their goals from set-piece situations. You know as well as anyone, George, that I'm never snobbish about set-piece goals. Far from it, in fact. I actively love set-piece goals. But as I've tried to say a few times over the last few weeks, and not to take anything away from what is potentially the best story in the division, like we're we're talking about them heading into the playoffs now, and, you know, I, I I think that's their weakness, and I think that it's something that could hold them back, being able to create goal scoring opportunities from from open play. Now I know that the way that they play helps them to turn games into 
basically a succession of set piece situations like almost like an nfl game ironically given the the provenance of their their ownership and and where their sort of whole philosophy comes from but yeah i don't know how far i'm willing to be concerned about this but compared to the other teams in the in the playoff places even swansea eight goals from open play in 14 games is is pretty poor um and it's at this stage of the season where we have to start holding them to to those playoff standards because they've still got at least two games to go after next weekend so it'll be an interesting one when we start previewing this in more depth um what we think about barnsley heading into the playoffs then again very rare that they have conceded sloppy goals such as the ones that preston scored uh, last weekend now swansea's win Puts them three clear of Barnsley and Bournemouth in the playoff places, of course. Four points above them, George's Brentford. They made it three wins in a row. Well-deserved win. 2-0 win against Watford, of course, who had spent the previous few days celebrating their promotion. So not one to necessarily overreact to, I don't think. But they are playing very well, Brentford, since the formation switch. Um, they look very good defensively. Norgard as part of a back three. Love stuff like that. Looks like it's working really well. But my question to you is... Would they have looked at the results when they got back in the dressing room, seen Swansea win, Bournemouth and Barnsley lost, which makes it less likely they'll play Swans? Think they would have been a bit disappointed about that? I mean, it's basically impossible they play Swans now. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure. I think any of these sides would probably want to play Swansea at the moment. Not only have they been the kind of the team that's looked out of form, but they also, you know, Andre Ayew isn't necessarily definitely back for the playoffs. I think they're hopeful that he will be. Um, I think whoever can finish uh, fifth <laughs> between Bournemouth and Barnsley are going to have an advantage. Um, so that that is another kind of thing to look at on final day. Um, you know, it might be pretty niche, but there is there, there is a race on for fifth and, and, and getting Swansea in the playoffs. Um, yeah, for, I think that's, so I, I think that Brentford will be frustrated by that. Um, if you're Thomas Frank, who do you want to play? Do you want to play the Bournemouth side that you've just beaten? Or do you want to come up against the plucky underdogs in, in Barnsley? Neither is really particularly appealing, uh, in my view. But they, they will certainly be heading into the playoffs, you'd think, full of confidence uh, based on their recent performances. Uh, one note from this uh, this Brentford game was, of course, Ivan Tony reaching 30 league goals for the season. He was one of three strikers in the EFL who hit that threshold this weekend, which is pretty cool. One in each league, of course, with Clark Harris uh, and Mullen. We will be discussing their games uh, in just a minute, but a hell of an achievement for Tony. Of course, he's been one of the most talked about players in the championship this season. Of course, he absolutely deserves all the accolades that come his way. I will just say, for the stats fans who like to know uh, how the goals are scored, if you take out penalties from all championship players' uh, goal returns, because some players aren't lucky enough to take penalties and get that free shot a goal, he's actually level in terms of non-penalty goals with Armstrong and Pukki, all, of, all three of them on 21. So... <laughs> Talk about niche, mate. Talk about niche fight. <laughs> Talk about niche final day narratives. That's where my eyes will be. Who will finish top of the non-penalty goals championship? Huge championship rankings. Uh, the other thing I want to flag up is uh, a, a new member, a new member for Brentford, Mads Bidstrup, a uh, young twenty-year-old midfielder. Uh, started, acquitted himself really, really well. It does mean, George, that six of their ten starters, Scandinavian players, around the same percentage of crime dramas uh, on Netflix are also Scandinavian <laughs> crime dramas. You've got Jensen, Nurgard, De Sorensen, Rurslev, Jensen and Bidstrup now. Uh, now, I'm not saying that there's a clandestine group of Scandinavians trying to take over Brentford FC and use it as a vehicle for Scandinavian propaganda. But at this stage of the investigation, 
I'm not ruling anything out. No you... comment. Nice. Love it. Love it. Love that sort of stuff. Um, Norwich beat Reading 4-1. This next section I'm calling Notes from the Beach. Um, uh, Norwich beating Reading 4-1, being crowned champions. And I think what's been nice is because everything's been more or less plain sailing for them, all of the Norwich players at some point have been praised to the hilt, and rightly so, for, for their performances and making uh, and being a part of this excellent side. But it was nice to see Javi Quintilla, someone we haven't spoken much of, show that actually... He can hit a free kick like Janino Penambucano. I uh, quite enjoyed that. That was a, uh, a, you know, we haven't got much much time left watching this Norwich side. Uh, and the weekend was another example of why we enjoy watching them very much. Yeah, they were excellent. Again, um, just a winning machine and going out with a with a bit of a flourish, which is good to see after a, a couple of rocky results um, in the first two games. It was good to see, I, I guess, some of the supporting um, players. You know, he speaks so much about Buendia and Puki and, and Campwell and things, but seeing Kieran Dow getting a goal early on, um, seeing Chevy Kandia getting his second goal in, in two games, um, they're just a very, very good footballing side. And I am going to enjoy them busting the narrative in the Premier League next season. Um, like I said, I don't think they're going to be the walkover. Um, you know, so many people and pundits and fans talking about how you know, you've got to change the way you do things when you get up to the, to the Premier League. It is nonsense. We've seen Leeds do it. Um, we saw Sheffield United do it in that first season. And I think Norwich are going to be a good... I mean, we need to see who they're going to sell, of course. But um, I, but I almost think... Yeah, I almost think some of the coverage about, oh, they'll need to sell one or two. It, it's as if people forget they're allowed to buy players as well. And they're and, incredibly good at it. <laughs> and they're incredibly good at it. And they will we are led to believe, actually have some money to spend on, well, let's hope, Premier League quality players. I do find that funny when they're like, well... I mean, obviously, Buendia, I would never say anyone is irreplaceable, but it's unlikely you're going to um, fill that void immediately. But some of the other players, like, they could easily buy players who are better than the players they have. I wouldn't be mm. surprised. We, we should expect them to, I think, at this point. Uh, other notes from the beach. Harry Wilson scored the best, the best hat-trick of the EFL season, presumably. I haven't done my research um, on this, but I mean, two free kicks, both of slightly different styles and trajectories, and they're not, and neither of them are your best goal. I mean, that's got to be up there, doesn't it? Yeah, the first goal was so good. If you haven't watched it, go back and find it and watch it. Now. It's so classy. Um, you know, it's it's one of those where, you know, he's capitalising on a mistake, so it is effectively an open goal, but to have the presence of mind and a technical ability to get the ball out of his feet and hit it with the outside of his of, of his left peg I mean it it also shows just how one-footed he is <laughs> that, he, that, he, that he opted to hit it with the outside of his left foot rather than um, hitting it with his right but uh, I mean it's just glorious I love it you know it's similar to um, the Port Vale goal we were speaking about the other day where it's it's that bit of genius you know there's not enough time to think it's just pure it's pure sense and he was able to do it and pull it off so but I almost think like you you are almost two footed if you can use the outside of your left foot and yeah. the inside of your left foot to that to that degree. That's why I always used to think Santi Cathola was four footed because he could okay. use the outside and the inside of both feet basically to a ten out of ten standard, and that's yeah. one of the things that that helped him stand out. Unbelievable! I mean, just incredible. For, from a Birmingham point of view, I reckon there were maximum three starters, like genuine starters. 
Boya taking a look at some of that second string and, well, it's hard to imagine he loved what he saw, despite the fact that the scoreline was more reflective of a Harry Wilson masterclass than a, than a huge gulf between the sides, I think. Mill will beat Bristol City 4-1. It's another note from the beach, this one. Uh, Bristol City firmly on it. Uh, um, a bottom three team in the Championship over a span of 41 games, George. 90% of the season. If you chopped out those lovely early wins when Andy Vyman and James Patterson, Jamie Patterson, he's been out for so long, I've forgotten his first name. Jamie <laughs> Patterson uh, were playing that free eight role. They were loving life, weren't they? Well, 41 games since then. They, they've been a bottom three team in that time. Plenty of work for freshly appointed permanent manager Nigel Pearson to do over the summer. I just want to shout out Billy Mitchell for anyone who likes emerging talent. Well, Billy Mitchell, centre midfielder for Millwall, scored a lovely goal uh, in this game. He's broken into the first team, started seven of the last eight games. For reference, he now looks like he's very much above Ben Thompson in the pecking order, which might pique the interest of some Pompey fans who enjoyed Ben Thompson on loan there not too long ago. David who's a Millwall fan, he's part of the NTT20 squad on Leveller, where we had a very lively weekend indeed. Uh, he put a bit more meat on the bones for me. Young midfielder, he has played fullback as well. Loved by the Millwall faithful, uh, as he's a Millwall fan, former season ticket holder, just turned 20. Box-to-box -box player with a strong tackle and a good pass on him. Highly rated by Rowett. Would have had more game time, but for an early season injury, has now established himself in the squad. Big things expected. Needs to learn how to time a tackle a bit better as seen in giving away that penalty against Watford last Saturday, but has all the attributes of a top player. I'm really excited, one to watch. I'm already bored at the fact that he's got the same name as a character from EastEnders, and that's going to be a joke uh, made every single time his name is mentioned on various shows, and I'm going to get bored of it as a non-EastEnders fan. <laughs> Stoke nil QPR two. You're singing too much in this episode. <laughs> six wins only. Six wins, George, in their last 29 league games for Stoke City. Uh, another season of meh for them. That's three now at the least. I'd say the most exciting thing that's happened to them since they were relegated to the Championship was when they got eight points in their first 15 league games uh, when Nathan Jones was in charge. Aside from that, uh, and aside from a Tyrese Campbell masterclass in the months of September and October this year, um, not a lot there. We, we really, really want to see Stoke get better and be good, like properly good next season. That would be really good. We, we need new challenges next year. Uh, and I'm looking at some of these teams and I'm wondering who it's going to be. QPR? Well, if you'd said to me, George, on the 1st of January, when QPR were on 21 points from 22 games, that from that point, they'd win 14 of their next 23, have the third best record in the league, more points even than their rivals Brentford in that time, I'd have said, shut the hell up, George. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's great. I can't really... It's funny because normally when you have a team like this, doing what QPR are doing, you'd be thinking ahead to next season and thinking, yeah, they're going to be a team that can challenge it towards the top end. But for some reason, I don't feel like that. I can't really work out why. And I, and I think maybe it's because the job that, that um, Warburton is doing is so impressive because you look at the squad and you don't really think they should be a top 10 side. So, um, yeah, massive for, for them, massive for, for, uh, for them. And I guess with a couple of good additions, you know, they need to... To spend better, they need to keep their players. Um, you know, they need to keep chair for next season. Um, I, I don't know what's happening with Charlie Austin. Uh, whether he'll still be the, the club uh, next season permanently. Um, but yeah, an amazing second half to the to the campaign, and um, delighted that Rob Dickey's had such a. You know, he's probably been the the star man. Uh, I guess at the back for them, they absolutely love him there. Uh, and for, for a first season championship level, he's come on a hell of a lot. Um, 
and yeah, I guess a, a couple of players like that, um, maybe they'll be okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not going to go overboard, but it's it's good to see. <laughs> it's great. It's great to see you almost you almost lost sight of yourself there, and then and I think I, I think I did. You grab you dragged it back. Well done. Key fixtures, uh, final weekend. Wow, Luton Rotherham Tuesday night. Keep your eyes on that one. Uh, any Rotherham points there certainly change the outlook of the relegation battle on Saturday. But of course, Derby against Sheffield Wednesday. That's the one I think we will all be watching closely. Uh, Cardiff against Rotherham, uh, depending on on the Millers' result on Tuesday, would be interesting. And of course, Borough against Wickham, maybe Wickham. Could win 14 0. No, no, okay, come on, come on. Uh, and then obviously keep an eye on Swansea, Bournemouth, Barnsley just to work out the playoff positions. As you say, Swansea pretty much settled into fourth now, so, um, uh, or fourth or fifth. So it, it just, yeah, we'll wait and see who plays them basically. Um, uh, just before we move on to the League One section where there's plenty to discuss, a reminder to make sure you play the Skybet EFL Rewards Predictor this weekend. There's a chance to win £500. If you finish the weekend top of the leaderboard uh, in the division whose results you are predicting, normally the winner is around 9 or 10 out of 12. Do you think you can predict that many results in one division this weekend? If so, certainly worth a go. Free to download, free to play. Another chance to win rewards if you check into your team's games as well and play the spinner. So Skybet EFL Rewards app sponsors of this pod, a worthy download for from, rather, from your app store. Uh, League One... Here's a weird quirk, mate. No one in the top 16 in League One lost and everyone in the bottom eight lost. But within wow. but within that nonsense stat, quite a lot of intrigue. I think we should start with Peterborough 3, Lincoln 3. Lincoln 3-0 up at half-time, George. I turned this one off at that point, so I figure... They've they've sort of taken it into this week, right? Lincoln, they must have they must have won that one from there. <laughs> no, Ali, they didn't. They drew three all. Oh my god. It was yeah, contentious. <laughs> when when I took on Five Live on Saturday, you had to be so careful with this because Peterborough have been promoted. They deserve to be promoted. They've been brilliant this season. But the penalty decision was one of the worst decisions I've I've ever seen, ever. And if they don't get that decision, then it goes into the last couple of games with Lincoln able to to chase them down. But they get it and they go up. It's a bit bit of a weird one. And the second goal as well. I, I, I can't work out if Clark Harris's free kick is deflected or if, the keeper, yeah. or if the keeper is just totally unsighted. Uh, it basically goes in the middle of the goal. He kind of dives away from it. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I don't want to take anything away from, from Posh because they are completely worthy of their automatic promotion. And Darren Ferguson's done an excellent job. They are just a very, very good side. But and I'm sure, is, and I'm, and I'm everyone sure posh fans... listening, even posh fans, will know what you're saying, mate. Yeah, like good. clearly from a neutral's point of view, that is, it leaves a slight shambles. It's just, it's a shame that that that, that was what shambles, <laughs> shambles. Yeah. Well, Scully was amazing for Lincoln in the first half. I didn't want to yeah. not. It wasn't just the two goals that he scored, but if you watch the full move of both of them, really nice build-up play. Um, such a sort of bustling attacking player. Seems to have a real eye for goal as well. He's one of those players that, like... I mean, this is ridiculous to say, given that he scored a beautifully struck curler into the top corner from the edge of the box. But a lot of his goals will be, like, kind of scuffed fin. He's one of those players. He seems to scuff a lot of his shots, but it kind of works for him. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. You've, so had, you've had so many opportunities to say that about Anthony Scully, and you've literally chosen after he scored one of the best goals he scored all season. <laughs> yeah, apologies. I'm rattled by this game in general. Clark Harris got his 30th and 31st of the season. He obviously scored the penalty, which took them up. Um, great celebrations. Tom Hopper 
we'll be having nightmares. He missed a great chance at uh, at 3-1, would have made it 4-1 to Lincoln there. So they're now heading into the playoffs. I can only add to what you've said about Posh. I, I think absolutely deserving of their promotion. Um, Darren Ferguson's fifth as a manager, four of them with Posh. Good recruitment as always, most notably, of course, the signing of Clark Harris, but not just that as well. Frankie Kent has been brilliant, very consistent at the back for them. They signed him from League Two as well, stepped up really, really well. We've loved players like Joe Ward as well this season, um, outside of the obvious Clark Harris, Dembele, Smodix. Joe Ward's versatility, his quality in the final third has been really helpful. Um, and, and Jack Taylor as well, who they signed from Barnet, has been a real driving force in midfield. So, Quality all round. Um, I think they'll be a great addition to the championship. Looking forward to seeing them play. I, I'm, yeah. I'm slightly torn because I do think that Ferguson is a good enough defensive manager that they can avoid being a team that concedes like two goals a game. But they do. But a that is something they will need to improve on for sure. And whether that means a, a tweak in formation that might make them a little less potent going forward, that's the, that's an interesting balance for him to find because it's hard to imagine that they won't. I'm sure they'll still cause teams problems with the personnel that they have. But the one thing they do undeniably have to improve is how they start games. They've conceded the first goal in 40% of their games this season, which is an unusually high number for a team that wins promotion. Of course, it, it reflects well on the, the character, the fight back, Ferguson's in-game changes that they come back, just like they did uh, in this game here. Uh, amazing record at coming back from, from losing positions. But, you know, that sort of stuff doesn't fly, I don't think, at, at a higher level. Something to improve. Two clubs, it's hard to know what order to do this League One chat in, so apologies if it, if it doesn't quite run smoothly because a lot of fixtures meant a lot for, for both teams. Two clubs secured their playoff berths, George. I'll just rattle through this. Uh, Sunderland beat Argyle 3-1. That was uh, first win after seven without. A good fixture for them to have, I think. Argyle have been, well, terrible, I think it would be fair to say. They are one of the most inviting defences in the league and, and Sunderland certainly made the most of it. 24 shots, 15 inside the box, 11 on target, three off the woodwork, three in the net. Uh, it was a good day for, for Sunderland, albeit a bit of fortune in that just after Argyle had equalised, they then went down to 10 men. Um, and just looking at Sunderland's team here, well, Ross Stewart's second goal for the club was notable. Really nice um, bit of speed to break the offside trap and finish calmly. That was impressive. And then Gooch was brilliant. Looking at his touch map, it looks like he had a bit of a free roll behind Stewart as his number number 10 with Geordie Jones and Diamond either side. And, and he was drifting all over the place, getting the ball out wide a lot, doubling up with those wide players and, and really worked well for them. So that could be something to watch over the next few weeks. King Maguire with a good impact off the bench. Uh, and then Northampton lost 3-0 to Blackpool. This secured Blackpool's playoff place as well. Um, Yates got two goals and an assist. They went 3-5-2 here at Blackpool. What I'm finding interesting about them heading into the playoffs is the different systems that they can play and seemingly switch between game to game and, and even within games. Uh, Yates and Sims as a front two, a real handful. Obviously, Jerry Yates is getting the plaudits because he's hit 20 goals. But Sims, who's on loan from Everton, it's his first loan. Looks like a proper handful. He's sort of, it's a classic like all-rounder striker. He's got great physicality, but he's scored a couple of goals already. Real threat. So I'm, I'm excited to follow his future from here. Um, quick, quickly, Blackpool. Yes. Haven't secured their playoff. Good. Place. I'm glad you're awake. Tell me about that. Well, they've got they've got two games left. They're playing midweek. They're on seventy four points. Portsmouth are on seventy two. Oxford on seventy one. Charlton on sixty eight. So if Oxford and Charlton or Charlton win their remaining games, they'll be level on seventy four. Oxford currently have a seven a plus seventeen goal difference. Blackpool plus 
plus 20. So if Blackpool do lose their last two games and Oxford win, then naturally Oxford's goal defence will be better. So they still need another point. We'll be seeing Blackpool in the playoffs, but thank you. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I really, really hope we don't now. A rare error, a rare error. But I can't be bothered to go back and edit it out and do that whole answer again. So we'll just leave that one in. Uh, that's where we're at as the season comes to an end. Northampton Town, off the back of that, George, they had their relegation confirmed. It's been a bit of a tough watch all season, in truth, for for a side who were the absolute story of the playoffs, or one of the stories of the playoffs last season, obviously blitzing their way to, to League Two promotion. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a funny one with them because, again, I don't want to upset Northampton fans, but they were probably less deserving of their promotion than normally a, a side will be. Um, you know, they snuck into the playoffs on PPG. They then, I mean, they, as you said, they completely blitzed the playoffs and were by far and away the best team in them. But it kind of felt like they, they were rewarded for three games rather than 46 games uh, or, or 49 games even last season. So therefore, they probably weren't of the necessary, well, they weren't as good as teams that we normally see coming up because I'm not necessarily convinced they were one of the top seven teams last season. Um, I think if the season had finished, I don't think they would have got into the playoffs. Um, but... They lost a lot of players. You know, Callum Morton was the star and, and he the whole was sent out three. on loan. To, the, the whole back three left as well. You know, it was basically a team who, it was arguable whether they they're the required quality and then they lost their best players. So, um, yeah, I think they, it, it didn't feel like a particularly sustainable um, little success and they, they'll need to go back and build. Uh, interesting to see whether or not John Brady um keeps the job uh, next season I think the fans would like him to um, you know he's somebody that I have built a fair bit of respect for over the last couple of weeks um, but the performances after you know sometimes we see an improved performance from, from Cobblers uh, but generally it's it's just not good enough yeah I agree with everything you've said and it's it's a weird one I'm, I'm not sometimes when a team goes down you can talk yourself into being quite positive about their prospects the following season. You can certainly talk yourself into being very negative about a team's prospects the following season. And I wouldn't say I'm feeling hugely positive or particularly negative right now about Cobblers. There's a lot that's kind of in the balance and it'll be interesting to follow over the next few months, especially with managerial appointments to be made. Uh, Hull were crowned champions. They beat Wigan 3-1. This is a Hull side that started the season with 11 wins in the first 14 games. They finished the season with 11 wins from their last 14 games. In between that run, by the way, they had a run of five wins, five draws, seven defeats. So it just shows you you, you very rarely have a team that are going to um, hold those very high standards throughout. But they've done more than enough to be well worthy of being champions. What is it? Top goal scorers, joint fewest conceded. So many, so many key men, just a whole starting 11, maybe even 14 players worth of key men. Uh, that's going to get it done. And and yeah, I enjoy Dean Ashton saying, if I was Grant McCann, I'd be feeling quite smug tonight because some of the stuff I'm sure he would have read about himself um, this time last year would have been tough to read, I think. And um, it, it must be nice to to confirm to yourself that, that the self-belief that you do have in the job that you're able to do in the right conditions um, is, you know, that you're right in believing in yourself. So well done, Grant McCann. I'm intrigued to see if Josh McGuinness heads into next season as a genuine goal scorer, by the way. He's got seven in seven. Not sure we've ever seen that from McGuinness before, but that could be a game changer because obviously he offers a lot else. Um, we'll touch on Wigan in a second uh, and Wimbledon. Those two secured their survival. Um, but just to tie off some playoff stuff, Pompey beat Wimbledon 3-1. It was a funny game, this. It was quite open and 
I said on Totally Football League show last Thursday that I associate a good Cowley Brothers team with with the word control, with controlled game plan, with sort of solid structure, controlled at the back. I'm not really seeing that at the moment, which is interesting heading into the playoffs, but it is entertaining to watch. Uh, Ronan Curtis and Lee Browns link up the, the difference here. Curtis setting up both of Brown's goals, having scored himself as well. Um, so Pompey just need to beat Aki next weekend and it's playoff football. Um, and then they'll have over a week to work on a game plan and, and work on building that control. But I, I mean, do you think they do you think they will? What? Make the playoffs? Be, be, yeah. I'm not that confident that they'll beat Aki, no. No. Not, I agree. not just because of their recent performances and me thinking they're a bit iffy, but also Aki are loving this end of the season. They've they've yeah. they've drawn with Sunderland, Charlton, Blackpool, and Pompey. Pompey, who they played like a week ago or so. So, no, I'm definitely I wouldn't be feeling that confident if I was a Pompey fan. And personally. they and they and they battered Charlton on Saturday as well. I mean, I, I, yeah, it's difficult. I mean, obviously, I, I'm looking at this as a fan. You know, I'll be on on Sunday. I'll have the Oxford match and the Pompey game, and you know, if Charlton get away in a midweek, probably the Charlton game on as well. Um, and maybe and maybe Blackpool. Um, and I feel like the Accrington one is going to be really difficult. Um, but then I also think the Burton are going to be very difficult for Oxford as well. That's basically the two sides that you probably want to avoid <laughs> um, that both teams have got. It's going to be it's going to be really exciting. I mean, I'm quite nervous about it, but I think for a neutral, it's one of the the best um, bits of the the end of the season. Can confirm. I mean, your your Oxford team. Where to start here? That was a third season in a row that you've won three two away at Shrewsbury. Yeah, um, 39 goals total for and against in your last eight games. That's over four per game. And 18 points taken in that time, two points per game. The the chaos approach is working well at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's it was another performance that wasn't great from Oxford, really. Um, it's, it's, it feels like it's... Uh, they're, you know, they're a side who are, are finding ways to win games, not necessarily through the process of of good performances, but just getting the goals where needed. You good know, it's the same against scored some lovely yeah, goals, didn't you, in this game? Same against against Gillingham, um, where you know Gillingham were the better side at two 0 and then Oxford scored three times in the last ten minutes. Um, scored some good goals, yeah. It was good to see uh, Elliot Lee's first and James Henry's second. Just some nice kind of link up play. Um, you know, the football is always going to be quite stylish, uh, so long as Carl Robinson is is the manager. Um, and it just all comes down to, to having to beat Burton on Saturday and hope results elsewhere go go Oxford's way. Uh, and then it'll be another another playoff um, playoff push. And as I keep saying, I'd be really up for a couple of games against Sunderland. Wouldn't that be fun? That would be very, very fun. I, I, I concur. Now, Charlton, they're four points off Pompey, um, but they can still make the playoffs because they've got an extra game uh, this midweek. So keep your eyes peeled on the Valley Tuesday night, Charlton against Lincoln City to give themselves a chance of making the playoffs on final day. But they're not playing well, Charlton. And they didn't play well against Accrington. They nicked an equaliser right at the end uh, for a one-all draw. Chucks an EK with it. What a weird situation he is at the moment, by the way. If you look at non-penalty goals per 90 in League One, he's first by miles. 0.82 goals per uh, non-penalty goals per 90. Wyke is next, 0.68. Clark Harris is 0.54. In fact, Kane Hemmings is, is third there. And obviously, there's context that needs added to those stats. Anike has only started like 10 or 11 games. He's come off the bench for the most part. In his last 10 appearances, the most he's played in one go is 45 minutes. So you've got this guy who, when he's on the pitch, scores goals. But for whatever reason, whether it's something to do with just a 
just like being really injury prone or just not being able to recover in this tight schedule, whatever it is, they can't play him more than 45 minutes per game. So you've got potentially the league's best striker or let's say one of the top three and he can't play for more than half a game. Uh, it's very, very strange. I wonder if he'll get the full game on Tuesday night, which is must win against Lincoln. And if he does, what sort of nick will Anike be in on the weekend? Uh, can't wait to see that. Uh, all to play for in the playoffs, of course. Pompey have it in their hands. Now, Rochdale lost 2-1 to Doncaster and were relegated as a result. I think this summed up Dale's season pretty well. I had this one on in Quest. Certainly in the first half, every time I looked at the screen, Rochdale had possession in Doncaster's defensive third. So much of the ball in those dangerous areas, but some of the missed opportunities were remarkable, whether it was a, the wrong pass or the, or a poor cross or just missing chances. Um, it, was, it was pretty crazy. And, of course, what made it worse, and all season has been the issue, they couldn't keep the door closed at the back. Um, Taylor Richards scored two for Donny. This lad, Lokilo, I think I mentioned him last week. He's mm. yeah, not low-key. Lokilo, he's he's been a real on the beach all star, I'd say, in the last few weeks, and I'd be excited if I was Donny fan to see him replicate this more consistently next season. But yeah, I mean, I think our opinion on Dale is actually not the pervading opinion amongst the fan base, George. But I yeah. really, really hope that they stick with Brian Barry Murphy and try and go down the, you know, um, continuation route rather than make huge changes. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um... I think he's a really, uh, it's difficult because you don't want to be telling fans who have just been relegated that they are wrong to be upset about being relegated because, you know, that is the whole point of this. But I do think that, to be clear, I think they should definitely be upset. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, but it's it's more a case of telling, you know, you're, you're telling fans to believe in a process which has seen them get relegated. But I, I do believe that he's a very good young coach and I believe that the you know, he's going to be improving and that if they were to invest time and faith in him, it will pay dividends eventually. You know, Rochdale aside, who, frankly, were inevitably one day going to get relegated from League One unless there was kind of big um, investment in terms of the playing side of things because their budget is a relegation size budget. And so any manager who comes in is having to exceed expectations just by keeping them up. Um, I think they've got a manager who has a very high ceiling and could take them quite far in time if they were to, to to kind of continue to believe in him, I guess, whilst playing nice football. Um, and we, I think we even saw signs in the last few weeks that he's he is improving them. Um, so, yeah, I hope they keep the faith with him. And I think they could be a side who, who will thrive in League Two next season. I don't know all of the assistant managers uh, in the EFL and it's hard to find out exactly who is Rochdale's as we record this pod, but it looks like they've got uh, a first team. I'm not sure who his right-hand man is, put it this way. But as you were talking, I did think to myself, you know, if if I if we're saying we hope they stick with him, what could they do to, to make his job a little easier? And what sprung to mind was actually a couple of conversations I had over the weekend with Mark Bonner, who was uh, the guest on EFL on Quest. His assistant is Gary Waddock, who's obviously very experienced in the game, has been a first-team manager elsewhere. Neil Critchley at Blackpool, they appointed Colin Calderwood to be his assistant manager 
in October, their form massively turned around to a point which, you know, I'm sure you can't give all the credit to Colin Cordwood, but something changed there, and that's the obvious one. Uh, Stevenage, uh, Mark Bonner was telling me that Stevenage's improvement in his eyes has has had a lot down to the um, appointment of their assistant manager, who I believe is called Dean Wilkins. Since he joined in December, their turnaround has been amazing. So it can't help these young guys to have maybe some more experience, someone to bounce ideas off. And I wonder whether Dale might look down that route rather than um, rather than sacking Barry Murphy and and changing the, the process, if you will. The good news, George, is that Wimbledon and Wigan stay up. Now, not that long ago, we looked at this relegation battle. There were seven really poor teams, right? Burton lifted themselves out of it, and it's one of the stories of the EFL. And, it, and you wondered who of the other two, uh, which other two of the six would, because... They all looked very poor at a certain point about two months ago. But what we've seen from Wimbledon and Wigan has been absolutely sensational and, and fully deserving of their survival uh, based on how they sort of pulled their socks up in the last few weeks, uh, months of the campaign. Definitely. And, and they're two sides. You know, we talk about Rochdale being being a club who I think will bounce back in League Two next season. I, I can see both Wigan and AFC Wimbledon really building on this um, because we're building on the second half of the season, really. You know, Liam Richardson's now got his three-year deal. Um, I think we can expect them to have a very, very different looking side come August to the one we're seeing at the moment with the new owners uh, and I'm sure the investment that will be coming uh, in the summer now that they know that they're going to be in, in League One. Uh, and for AFC Wimbledon, I think it's a club moving in the right direction. I think Mark Robinson is a manager who's deserving of our respect now. Um, and he is exciting because of the way that he's bringing young players through who are seemingly already able to perform at, at League One level. So that should continue. Um, yeah, two two sides who I think will want to leave this season behind uh, and look forward to, to brighter times. You, you thought, well, we kind of agreed, I think, when we talked about Wimbledon's vacancy that it might be time for Wimbledon to, to move away from promoting the the local manager with ties to the club. We didn't know they had the Merton Mourinho, as you insist on <laughs> calling him, 56-year-old, ready to come in and take his first managerial job and turn things around uh, so impressively in the short term. Definitely exciting times at, at AFC Wimbledon this summer. And, Wim and Wigan's improvement was insane. Like They didn't change their manager in order to um, boost their, their results. Um, I thought there were signs of life in January. They had a run of five games where they won one and drew four. Then they lost eight of the next 10. And I just thought, no, that was just a, a flash in the pan. That was a small signs of life, but they, they've got to be done. It's, they've had too many obstacles, too much going against them. But two months ago today, Wigan were bottom with 27 points from 32 games. And since then, uh, their last 13 games, they projected as a top 10 team. So Liam Richardson deserves the, the keys to the city. And look, who knows exactly how significant for them being in League One next season versus League Two can be. Um, I'm sure that with new ownership, with the best intentions, we hope um, they would have been fine either way. But God, it, it seems to make such a big difference. And as you say, excited to see how they can build from here um, with hopefully some good decision makers in charge now and on firm financial footing. Notes from the beach. Well, Owen Dale is still one of the best beach footballers in the EFL. Um, <laughs> brilliant assist for Cruz winner there. Speed and tenacity 
to knock a defender off the ball and then the, the composure and skill to square it to Ainley. Crew will be the top promoted team uh, out of the four that came up from League Two last season, which given we liked all four of those teams in different ways, or certainly the, the automatic three, I think they deserve huge credit for that and plenty to build on as well. Uh, and Swindon, they lost to Ipswich, James Norwood with two goals and the missed penalty there. Uh, Swindon have conceded 86 goals now for them, the most in the EFL. In terms of key fixtures this weekend, well, keep your eye out for Charlton Lincoln on Tuesday and then uh, Pompey Accrington and Oxford Burton will certainly be very, very significant and maybe Charlton Hull if they can pick up some points on Tuesday night. League Two, here's your headline quirky stat for League Two, George. The top three lost and the bottom two won. Confusing, confusing. <laughs> Harrogate five, Cambridge four. That's yes. the not even just for the scoreline, for the context as well. That's the game of the season, right? In League Beautifully Two. Beautifully EFL. I mean, so this EFL. Is, this is why we need to protect our glorious EFL. Um, you know, you've got Harrogate resting eight players because they've got a, a an FA Trophy final from last season to play on Monday. <laughs> and after making those changes, just come out and go race into a 3 0 lead very, very early on. Cambridge needing just a point for promotion, get it back to four all, only to concede so late. I mean, I, I, I want to know from you, I haven't asked you this yet. I mean, what was Mark Bonner saying about it on Saturday? I was so impressed. This guy has seen his team need a win against Stevenage the previous weekend to secure an incredible promotion. His first year as a manager, the second youngest manager in the league, a Cambridge side not tipped to do anything particularly special this season. They lost 1-0 to Stevenage. And he's very impressive afterwards, said all the right things. And then 3-0 down to Harrogate. They get it back to 4 all. They, 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 they're securing their promotion on Friday night and they lose. He gets home at 2 a.m., must have woken up on Saturday morning and been like, oh my God, I'm in on quest. I'm in on Quest. <laughs> and I wouldn't have blamed him if he'd sacked it. And you know what? Between you and I, mate, in the last six years I've worked on that show, a fair few guests have sacked it on the morning of. But not this guy. Uh, he came in. Obviously, we got the elephant out of the room pretty quickly. And me and the, the rest of the production team and Michelle chatting about the game. He, was, <laughs> he didn't make any excuses, that's for sure. They were horrendous defensively and very good going forward. And that, that's what he said. Um, but he was... Not only was he really sort of calm and impressive and level-headed about it all, which I'm sure will reflect, well, will impact well on his players this week uh, as they lick their wounds and get ready for next weekend's game against Grimsby, where again, they just need a point to win promotion. But also, and again, I've got a lot of experience of current managers, out-of-work managers, former managers, players of all description. He came in and he was so excited for the for a new experience. He spent the whole day asking people what they did, what their role was, what they'd done before, um, trying to understand how the show worked, how it got put together. It was really, really impressive. I liked him a lot. Um, he obviously knows a ton about football as well. But, you know, it's just nice to hear someone who... He was a season ticket holder at Cambridge when he was a kid. Like, he has worked his whole life to get to this point, even if he didn't have a career in the game. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I... I already wanted Cambridge to win promotion because I think they deserve it. But certainly after meeting Mark at his lowest point possible uh, mm. on Saturday and working with him for the day, I definitely want them to do it. Um, and they've got a bit of work to do. But also this game was, I mean, aside from that, I, I still watched it with glee because it was just crazy. I looked yeah. at the 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 Y Scout expected goals for this game is Harrogate 4.5 
uh, Cambridge 3.5, which might Mad. might be the most the sort of highest joint I've ever seen. And that's what the match was. It was just attack and then another attack and then another attack. You'd be watching the replay on iFollow of the previous chance and then suddenly it would cut back because there was another one. It was just incredible. And and randomly, I fell in love, George, with a player. I fell in love with a lone E making his first ever EFL start on Friday night. And Who's he's, that? He's called William Hondamark. Ah, uh, yes. Hondamark get set go, as the gag goes. <laughs> uh, not mine, sadly. A lot of Norwich fans already done that. He's on loan from Norwich City. He's a 20-year-old midfield player. He played on the left of a 4-4-2 in midfield, but he was narrow. He was tucked in. He's... <laughs> He's um he he's born in France, but he moved to Ireland as a kid. So I think if he was to play international football, I believe he would play for Ireland. He's on loan from Norwich, as I said. They brought him over from uh oh, I'm gonna butcher this pronunciation. I want to say Drogheda, <laughs> Drogheda, 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 uh, where he was no where he was playing as a 17 year old, and he just has a lot of a lot of attributes that I look for in a player. He's big. He's strong, but he's very nimble, got quick feet. He absolutely squashed Wes Houlihan at one point, picked the ball <laughs> up off him, drove forward, dinked inside a man, and then slid a pass through to his teammate Thompson, I think it was, who missed a really good chance. And from then on, every time I saw him do something, it just looked it looked like quality to me. And look, uh, it's interesting because he joined on loan in January. He played like 45 minutes against Cambridge immediately, uh, and then he hasn't played since. So he, he must have been injured. There's so little info about him since he joined um harrogate haven't even mentioned him on their website since signing basically so he was kind of a surprise starter but i will be keeping a very close eye on him i guess because he's been injured it makes it quite difficult for for prospective loan clubs for next season to like definitively say yes that's the player we want but wow i've seen him do some pretty cool stuff when i was watching his clips on y scout and i i'm gonna say to you right now george if honda mark goes on loan somewhere in the efl next season I'm going to use some of the podcast budget to sponsor him. I want him. I want him to be our first sponsored individual player because uh, I think he could go a lot higher than League Two, put it that way. Um, Maybe we should become an agency, try and sign him. Not a bad shout with respect to his current agency, of course. None. Anyway, it was another reason why this game was another reason why I just, as a neutral, just love watching Harrogate games. Uh, they play really good stuff, enjoyable, entertaining football. I remember saying it after they played Bolton and lost the other week. Um, I'm looking forward to watching them more closely next season, and I'm intrigued to see how much recruitment they'll be able to do this summer. Because, of course, it's still a core of players, very few of whom have played EFL football before. And you wonder whether they'll try and reshape that uh, to a certain extent. Still plenty of things to chat about, George. Uh, Bolton won, Exeter 2 was mental. The (laughs) The second time in three weeks in the EFL that a keeper has gone up with the score at 1-1, not even losing and trying to secure a point, but drawing, trying to secure a win. The first one was Stockdale for Wickham, who ended up winning a penalty, which they scored and won uh, against Bristol City. And in this one, score at one all. Exeter have to win to keep their season alive. If Bolton win, they will be automatically promoted. So Anderson trots up for Exeter. They've got a wide free kick. And get this, Bolton, because ultimately they needed to win, they left two players up on the halfway line with no one back for Exeter. So they were like, okay, well, if we win this header, we're going to score and we will be promoted. It would have been a a little bit like that, you know, reminder of that Marcelo Trotter, James Coppinger, Donny Brentford Mm. incident. As it was, they could have done with the markers, couldn't they? Yes, (laughs) because they conceded a goal. (laughs) Um, I didn't see that. That's crazy. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I was quite surprised, to be honest, because Bolton have, have been a side who, over the last 20 or so games, have been experts at seeing out 1-0 leads. Mm. You know, they've won, I think, 10 games 1-0. Which, 17, I think, overall. Overall, yeah. Um, which might not be sustainable long-term. Um, but you'd think it would give them the ability to see out this game, which they weren't able to do. And it makes it very awkward for them now, because Morecambe got their win away at Walsall, and having put that gap between themselves and Morecambe with having beaten them away from home uh, last week, it's now going back to the wire again, where, you know, for, for all of these sides towards the top end, you know, Cambridge have got um, Grimsby at home, Bolton go to Crawley, which will be difficult, and Morecambe host Bradford. You'd probably think Morecambe and Cambridge have the two easier ties there. Uh, and if Bolton do slip up, even if they get a point, um, so if they were to lose and Morecambe were to get a point, then Morecambe would overtake them because they've got a better goal difference. So a lot of pressure now on Bolton um, to try and see this out. You mentioned Morecambe. Impressive game plan as ever from Derek Adams. They let Walsall have the ball. They only had 26% possession. Did they have almost all of the significant chances in the game? Yes, they did. Um, and it just it, it, it marches on to the final day. I can't wait. I think Morecambe are going to do their part. So pressure on. I really think Morecambe will win. So pressure on Cambridge and Bolton. And I hope that I hope that they win so that the pressure is on. I want these teams to earn it on final day. But another more credit to Derek Adams. They were missing some key players, in, including Carlos Mendes Gomez, but both their main fullbacks as well. Um, it didn't matter. They they were very comfortable. Clearly, the better side against Walsall. They've now achieved more points than ever, George, at the highest level they've ever been at. Um, and that is just reflective of, of what Derek Adams has done for this club. At Forest Green beat Tramere 2-1. This was important, wasn't it? FGR had only won 1 in 10 before this. They really needed it. And because of Salford's wetting the bed, uh, they're now back in the playoffs, having dropped out. Uh, they made the most of Tramere mistakes. They finished well. That's what they haven't done all season outside of that man, Jamil Matt, uh, Josh Davison, especially with a really good finish there. But no Ebu Adams for final day for Forest Green. First booking for descent, second mm. booking for a stupid tackle. It's his third red card. I don't think you can call that a tackle. It's his third red card in his last 14 games. Now, what I'm wondering, and I haven't got a definitive answer for this, even though it was two bookings, one match ban normally, if it's your third of the season, do you think you get... Is there like a multiplier? But he's his ban from March was overturned, so... right. This would only be a second ban for, for red cards in that time. I don't know if that impacts it, though. Confusing. Confusing. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's in Forest Green's hands on final day because of this result. Salford losing 1-0 to Colchester United, not just losing the match, but losing their heads somewhat as well. They had, George, in a game against a really poor team with nothing really to play for. Salford who had just moved into the playoff places after three consecutive wins, a 94th-minute winner in midweek. They had one shot in the whole game. That is horrendous. Absolutely. Yeah, atro atrocious. More, I mean, you can't... more players sent off than shots total. Yeah, it's a massive... You know, we talk about <laughs> when is a bottle a bottle, and that, that performance does feel like a... A side who'd, who'd done a lot in the recent in recent weeks to put themselves in a position where they could get into into the the mix for the playoffs and then to put in a performance like that, both in terms of of the attacking output in terms of getting men sent off, it was just an absolute shambles. Um, and they've made it very very difficult for themselves. I mean, they can only go and beat Orient uh, next week. Um, 
but there, you know, Deshaun Bernard, I think, has been one of the best defenders in the in League Two this season. So being without him for that game won't help. And then for Hunter to get sent off for descent and injury time is just mind-bogglingly stupid. Um, yeah, and it, it just a, a terrible shambles all around for them. Newport, the opposite, very controlled. They beat Cheltenham. How many beers had Cheltenham had since their promotion? We don't know, but a huge win for Newport. Labadee with the early goal. Bodies on the line. Two shots cleared off the line to secure the win. And they're in a good spot, Newport. They could still be caught, technically, uh, if they were to lose and Exeter were to win. And other results to go against them. Um, still pressure on, but impressive last few weeks for, for Newport. So there's basically three teams going for two automatic spots. Cambridge and Bolton are in them. Morecambe are trying to hunt them down. And then there's basically five teams going for three playoff spots. That is the three who are in them. Newport, Tranmere, Forest Green, who are fifth, sixth and seventh. But then Exeter and Salford could still make it as well. So, I mean, League Two is kind of the one to watch this weekend, George. Do you think that's fair to say? 3 p.m. Uh, on Saturday, we, we would ask people to make sure they are across what should be a pretty dramatic final day. Yeah, 100%. And we're going to be on Sky Sports News in the, in the evening talking about it all. Which Seven is till ten. Seven till ten, Saturday night goals. It's going to be absolute class. Uh, really excited about that. So do tune in. It's going to be loads and loads of EFL chat there. Um, but yeah, League Two is, is going to be probably the most exciting of the three leagues um, for the neutral, I guess, because we've got this amazing automatic promotion race, because we've got the playoffs as well. Although, you know, we know who's getting relegated. Um, so that's where the narrative is going to be uh, on, on Saturday afternoon. A word on... The, the, the team that we lost at Southend United, 101 years in the EFL, George, back-to-back relegation sends them into to non-league. They actually beat Barrow in the game, but were relegated because Scunthorpe got a point at Bradford City. Choices uh, most pertinently that have ranged from peculiar to completely disastrous, basically. And, and I, I said that sometimes when a team goes down, you can look for some positives. I, I would suggest with Southend, as we are right now, and we know things can change quickly, it's difficult to dredge up too many positives right now. Yeah, it is. Um, I think the fans would like to see the club, you know, to see this relegation um, triggering the start of something, a change of ownership at the club. You know, every team hits rock bottom before making their way back up. We've seen sides, you know, we've seen Lincoln, Oxford, uh, Bristol Rovers all come back into the EFL as in a better place really um, for, for their relegation. But so long as Ron Martin is the owner, um, it feels like there's a hell of a way to go to improve things. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, uh, I think it's hard to make a case right now for this being something that could be a positive uh, for South End because it's been just a totally abject two years at the club. For sure. Uh, and that note about positives, I mean, we certainly have more to say about Grimsby. We, we spoke about it on last week's Totally Football League show Extra Time, but it feels like there's a potential there for an ownership change, which seems a lot more likely with Grimsby than it does for South End, albeit I'm not 100% sure where that proposed takeover is at the moment with Grimsby Town. But with the way that they've played in the last few weeks uh, under Paul Hurst, if he was to stay, if there was new ownership in place, I would be quite positive about Grimsby and I would be hopeful that they could buck the trend and potentially come straight back up in, in a way that very few teams have done 
I think Bristol Rovers spring to mind. But apart from that, since we've been doing this pod, most of the teams we've lost down to non-league, we haven't seen them for a good few years afterwards. So work for Southend to do, work for Grimsby Town to do. They did beat Vale uh, on the weekend, too little, too late, sadly. Uh, other notes from the beach. We had some great beach games, didn't we? Leighton Orient 2, Carlisle 3. Uh, three penalties in this game. Only one of them scored. Late, late winner for Carlisle. Uh, ironic that the, the the side managed by Chris Beach uh, thriving in, in, in beach football. Stevenage 3, Crawley 3. Again, just great beach football this. You knew that John Yems's team would be a good side for end of season dead rubbers. They love them. They love them. Just a ton of really good goals in that game. Uh, Mansfield beat Oldham 4-1. Uh, Oldham, could they be setting records for amount of combined goals in their games? They've now seen 150 goals go in in 45 games. Uh, I can't remember a team off the top of my head that has rivaled them for that. Uh, the highest scorers and the worst defence in the league this season, uh, which is completely bizarre. Uh, key fixtures of the weekend. Well, I mean, all of them, really. There's No, not all of them. There's probably eight or nine in League Two with something riding on them. Uh, a few games of beach football, uh, including that game involving Chris Beach, of course. Um, but yeah, we hope that you'll watch us on Sky Sports News between 7 and 10 on Saturday. We'll obviously be looking at all the goals and the key moments. We'll also be providing some context, some opinion uh, around what's happened on final day in the Championship and in League Two. And we'll also be talking about some of our favourite players. We might... Uh, we might reveal our teams of the season as well. But it'd be great to have you watching that show. We're really looking forward to doing it uh, Saturday night, Sky Sports News, 7 till 10. Uh, it'd be great to have you there. And it'd be also great if you checked in on the Skybet EFL Rewards app for the last time this season, later on in the week. Uh, if you play the spinner, you've got a chance of winning a ton of prizes. But also make sure you play the predictor. You just have to predict 12 results uh, in one division, the division that your team plays in. And if you win that week's leaderboard for that division, you'll win £500. It's all free to download, free to play. The must-have app, really, for EFL fans. And next season, when we can start going to games again, touch wood, it will really come into its own once more, the Skybet EFL Rewards app. Cheers for listening, guys. Uh, have a great week. Go well. Listen to us on the Totally Football League show on Thursday, the betting show as well, to finish off the week. But have a great week. Uh, best of luck if you're heading into the final weekend with something riding on your game. We cannot wait to recap final weekend. This time next week, make sure you're subscribed so you catch that pod as soon as it comes out. And we'll be previewing the playoffs not long after that as well. So plenty still to come over the next few weeks in the EFL and on the NTT20 pod. Thanks as ever for listening.